From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a long career as an employed professional. I will tell you that probably the biggest key to profitability for me is evolution. Today on episode 103 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development, Ed Everts. After 25 years of increasing responsibility and corporate career advancement, Ed was pushed out. He decided he would rather work for himself as his next step. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Ed Everts. Ed is a leadership coach, team coach, strategist, podcast host, and author who helps successful leaders build their self-awareness so they can self-manage more effectively. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. I'm thrilled to be here. It's great to have you on. So, Ed, you've had a long corporate career before you launched your own business. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, When I graduated college, I went into retailing and I spent about 25 years in a variety of HR human resource roles in retailing, starting in the South. I went to the University of Arkansas and worked for uh, a company in Arkansas and Tennessee, and then uh, moved up to New England in the early 80s and went to work for some of our favorite but no longer existing retailers, Jordan Marsh, Leachmere, and Filene's, and spent uh, a number of years there, had a family, and the hours of retailing are not fantastic, and so made the decision to leave the retail industry and joined a business-to-business company, a services company called Iron Mountain, which is also based in Boston, and spent about 10 years there before leaving there and starting my own practice. And what triggered your decision to start your own practice? So I had spent about 10 years at Iron Mountain. I was hired by somebody whom I knew. And while that wasn't necessarily relevant because we didn't know I was interviewing until the day that I showed up, you know, she and I had a great, great relationship. And about six to seven years into our tenure, she left to work at another organization and a new leader came in who I had not met. And, you know, David, I've come to believe that there's a big difference in relationships between people you hire and people you inherit. And so my first boss hired me. So she was more invested in my success. My second boss inherited me. And they just tend to be oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes less invested in your success. They want to be more impactful by hiring people and bringing them in. And so we did not have a great relationship professionally. And the island I was on got smaller and smaller as the years passed. And then in 2008, a decision was made, which was very surprising to me at the time, to terminate my employment, to get laid off. And so I was laid off at Iron Mountain in 2008. You know, it's um, it's remarkable how common the scenario is. I'm not quite sure I've ever heard anybody describe it as dealing with somebody you inherit versus someone you hire. Although, as I reflect on it, I can think of many situations that I know where that is true and is quite common. Another scenario that people talk about a lot is the difference between promoting somebody to a leadership role from within an organization who's part of the culture versus bringing somebody in from the outside. And um, one of the things I think is pretty common when somebody comes in from the outside is the direct reports that are inherited. Often the relationship is not 
what it would be if they were hired. So I could certainly see how, how that scenario plays out. So I can comment on both of those. The inherit versus hire scenario is very, very common. And in fact, today I was speaking with the colleague of one of my clients and my colleague had an observation of my client that they treat people they've hired better than people they've inherited. So it is a theme that continues to exist. And I'm not a sociologist, so I haven't studied it deeply, but you know, I just do believe that like families and like so many other things, when we have a choice, we're more invested in what we choose versus things we just inherit. And so it's just, I think, a very common human behavior that we tend to spend more time on or are more invested in people we hire versus people we inherit. On the second observation, which is uh, hiring from internal versus external, more people who are hired externally are likely to hire other external people than people who are promoted internally. So if you're looking to get internal promotions, you're more likely to get them if the person you report to was internally promoted. If the person you report to was externally hired, your likelihood of success, not impossible, certainly, because you provide great value and insights and support of that person, but it gets a little diminished because they came from the outside and so their predilection might be to bring other people also in from the outside. That's actually a great observation. And um, and I hadn't quite thought about it that way, but you know, if this were a show about how to advance your career as an employee, we could spend a lot of time talking about the strategies you might use if you're an employee and you have a, a new boss who comes in from the outside. But that's not the theme of the show. So let's talk actually about what happens after you leave employment. And in your case, so you made a decision to start your own business as opposed to trying to get another job. I did. And I really started from ground zero. So up until the point I was told my job was being eliminated. I had zero plans to ever have my own business. Uh, think about having my own business. You know, I anticipated being it. I'd still be there today, maybe, if they didn't uh, kick me out the door. So, you know, I left in on June 1st of 2008. And of course, if there's any time to get laid off at a company, it's the middle of spring, early summer. And so I took the spring and summer to think about what I wanted to do next. I had been there 10 years, so I had a very generous severance package. And of course, this was 2008 where the economy bottomed out. And so unemployment was extended on an endless basis. So, you know, I had some good financial uh, support in order to think about what I wanted to do next. But what was clear to me, David, was I really didn't enjoy working at organizations any longer. And if I was going to get kicked out the door, I wanted to do something different and not just go somewhere else and do the same thing for a different company. And so the idea of starting my own practice and taking the 25 years of experience I had and now applying it to help others really energized me. So I spent the summer networking with people who did coaching. I could have done anything in human resources, but the thing I loved most was helping people be more successful. And I chose coaching and I networked and to make a long story short, decided that uh, I could be very successful doing this. It would take a few years, but if I could hang in there, you know, I would be successful. And that's what I did. And how did things transpire? Things transpired well. You know, they say restaurants take five years to be successful. And if you can make it past your five-year mark, then your likelihood for success is greater. And I think I was one of those people. You know, I had colleagues who six months out of their last job were extremely successful. I just always knew, David, based on the people I talked to and the experiences that I was having and my own personal observations, I always knew this would work. And I couldn't dictate the time 
because I can't make my clients choose me. But I just always knew if I could make the turn and earn an income and help support my family, that this would work. And, you know, quite frankly, while I have not been right about a lot in my life, I was right about this. Yeah. That's a theme that I have heard so many times that it's so important to believe in yourself and believe in your capability to succeed in your own business, because it certainly is not a simple transition to make. So congratulations on everything you've achieved and having the perseverance to see it through. Thank you. And I think that is the key word, perseverance, persistence. I had colleagues who ended up going back to organizations to work because they couldn't make it, you know, either financially or organizationally. They just couldn't make it happen and gave up. I'm not saying that was right or wrong, but, you know, for me, it was really persistence to keep pushing through. You know, 2008, 2009, 2010 were not great years for external consultants because companies were still coming back from the recession. But uh, I was able to make it work and I was very persistent and did a variety of things to keep myself visible in the marketplace. And I think if people are persistent in something they believe in, their likelihood for success is significantly greater. Yeah. Ed, can you talk a little bit about how you felt during the, the period that you took to do some self-reflection? Yeah, it was it was hard. You know, I tell people, David, that the day I was told my job was going away was the hardest day of my professional career. I had a you know very emotional phone call with my wife who I called as I was driving back to one of our other buildings. Uh, and I, you know, I just thought the world was ending, right? I thought I would retire from this company. But you know, 13 years later, I look back on that day, and you know, by no strange coincidence, it was the best day of my professional career because they kicked me out. And I probably needed to be kicked out because I certainly still would not want to be there. But they kicked me out and it forced me to have to think about things differently. It put me in a new position in respect to how I wanted to organize my career and my life. And it was hard. It was very hard because I was now venturing into arenas that I had never been in before. I never sold tools or solutions or models to people. I was a internal HR leader, right? They were always presented to me. So, uh, but I've always been a good listener. I've always been a good student. So I took the lessons I learned. I took the best practices I had seen of others. And, you know, I worked to honor them and apply them. And again, with persistence and listening and really trying to figure out what was going on in the marketplace, you know, after a few years of continuing to swing the axe, it started to come together. And what were some of the things that you did that led to your success? Well, I tell people uh, early on that I made some observations that I thought were very important. One is that you, you have to ensure that you have significant other support. Uh, you know, if my wife looked at me over the breakfast table one morning and said, I can't do this, I need you to get a job, I would have gone out and got a job, right? But my wife knew this was important and was always supportive, even when months went by when I didn't collect a paycheck because I hadn't landed an engagement. So, you know, having somebody else as a partner who is supportive of what you're doing is super, super critical. You also have to have a good financial basis to, to work from. And I don't mean that you're wealthy, but that, you know, you know how to navigate through a time where you went from earning an income and getting a paycheck every other week to no income. And while it would continue to grow a little bit, it certainly took a while to get back to where I was at Iron Mountain. And today I'm over that number. So that was a big year when I beat my Iron Mountain, you know, income. 
but you know, it took a while to get there. So you know, those are just a couple of things that I think about in respect to trying to be persistent and making great progress. And what kinds of resources? I mean, you, you alluded to like learning lessons and trying to follow what you've learned. What were some of the resources that were most helpful? Well, I really tried, David, to watch the marketplace and just not do things because it made sense to do them, but try to see what the market was looking for and what the market needed. And I would tell you the number one resource that any person who's looking to start a business needs is a fantastic network. No one can help you more than somebody else who also wants to help you be successful. If you try to do it on your own, if you don't talk about it, the ups, the downs, the negatives, the positives, you won't make it. And so, you know, this was a natural inclination for me. So I think for myself, it was a little bit easier. I'm naturally extroverted. I could probably keep talking now and I'll be quiet in a moment. But, you know, I I naturally connected with people. So I went from having zero network because my head was down at Iron Mountain for a number of years to an extensive network of people. And it's the network that continues to help me be successful. Mm. Where and how do you network? So the pandemic certainly has altered the experience, as has my tenure. So early on in my career, when I was first stepping into the coaching space, I joined a few affiliation groups. I joined the International Coach Federation of New England. I still remember my first meeting. I walked in. Now, at that point, I hadn't even done any coaching. And here I was in this meeting of people who were coaches. And, you know, this was one of the reasons I decided to do it is because the people I met were lovely. The people I met were transparent. Uh, Everybody would answer any question that I would have. And I just learned more and more about it. So, you know, the International Coach Federation, every functional area today has either a magazine or an affiliation group. And for any of our listeners who are, you know, an attorney or a pharmaceutical engineer or a manufacturing executive, go out and find a affiliation group of other people who are doing what you're doing. Because not only does it help you feel better about what you're doing, you know, you can find new employees, you can learn best practices that you can bring back to your company. It's not only about finding your next job, but it's about making great progress. And then lastly, just keeping an eye on what's going on in the marketplace. I try not to be certified in every tool that's out there, but, you know, some are more, what's the word I want to use, uh, sellable or productive in the marketplace than others. And so you want to be you know, aware of those so that you utilize those in your business. So, yeah, how do you figure out what will sell? It's hard. So it's hard. Uh, you know, my first assessment that I was certified in was Myers-Briggs because I'm a huge Myers-Briggs fan. I chose not to get certified in DISC, which is kind of its competitor, even though it does look at different things. I've been certified in some things that I've never used that I thought were key to being successful as a coach. You know, and ultimately, David, you know, what happens is when we first start, we throw a huge fishnet over everything. And we think we have to be certified in every tool that's out there. As time passes and you become more knowledgeable, more competent, more skilled, you only need two or three. And most times my clients ask me what I use. And so I don't have to say, hey, what type of assessment do you use or what type of tool do you use? They ask me, Ed, what's your you know, favorite 360? You know, what is it that you want to use with our client base? And most often they choose it. So my favorite tool that I use today, and I would say I use this 90% of the time, which was not true 10 years ago, is the Leadership Versatility Index, the LVI. And you know, most people ask me, what do you use and how do you use it versus, you know, vice versa? Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the other things 
that often happens when people start out and you talk about casting a wide net is they often cast a wide net in terms of the kind of business that they're looking for because they're not really sure what's going to stick and what the market wants. As you look back over your career in your own business, what have you learned about identifying how to kind of narrow your focus and have a particular niche that you're known for in the marketplace? Well, I'll tell you, I think it happens almost naturally. Uh, when I first went to coaching school, so when I left Iron Mountain, I did want to become an expert in coaching, and I'm still a student of coaching today. I continue to learn from everybody that I work with. The uh, need to really understand you know, what would work and what would be most uh, impactful. And so I think as time passes, when you do start with a wide net, and I agree with your observation, you, you don't know because you don't have the experience as to what's going to sell or what's going to work, your experience and your insights start to drive the train. And so I believe the characteristic that influences you the most, David, is something you can't control, which is time. And, you know, if I meet somebody who has been coaching for 20 years and I say, you know, what assessment do you use? I'm going to listen because this person has 20 years of experience working in the marketplace. If I bump into a person who's been coaching for a year, I'm probably never going to get an answer, right? Or, you know, they're not necessarily going to know. So the, the factor that can influence the tools that you use are is time. I look back and as I mentioned, there are some tools that I was certified in that I've never used. I don't think of them as mistakes. I mean, I just thought it would be great. I paid to get certified. Again, I can't control the marketplace and it just wasn't a great choice. And so, you know, maybe someday somebody will say, are you certified? And I can say yes and I can use it. But I think time is the the, the biggest factor, David. Mm. Ed, what have you discovered has been some of the keys to greater profitability as a coach? Well, I will tell you that probably the biggest key to profitability for me is evolution. And I believe all listeners, regardless of the industry that you in, you're in, need to continually be thinking about how do I evolve what I'm doing? How do I stay cutting edge and on top of technology, assessments, perspectives, you know, whatever it might be. And so if I was still doing today what I was doing 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't even be talking with you. But as time passed, I wanted to continue to evolve. I wanted to continue to do something this year that I didn't do last year. And so that's where the things that you mentioned in my introduction, the books that I've written or the podcast that I'm hosting have come from. It's about staying a little bit different in the marketplace, staying a little bit visible. And the more visible you are, the more likely that you'll get hired when somebody needs a coach. One of the challenges of coaching, you know, it's unlike, and I can't think of a good metaphor, but it's not like buying a car where you walk in and say, hey, I want a car and you buy a car. I could be talking to somebody extensively about coaching, but they just don't need it right now, right? So I can't force them to buy it. But what I want to happen, and this is where this visibility is critical, is six months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road, when a coaching need finally arises, they say, oh, I should call Ed, right? So I have either seen his podcasts or I've read his books or I've seen his articles, right? I know he's still in the game. And I believe that that has helped me be profitable uh, and continue to be profitable as the years pass. Yeah, when your work involves knowledge and relationships, the awareness is really important and it's um, it's a very long-term effort. Well, the relationship piece is also super critical. And so when I look at my reputation in the marketplace, 
one of the key words I use is responsive. And while I can't say I'm perfect at it, I would say easily 97% of the time, if someone reaches out to me, they will hear back from me within 24 hours. Always. It could be, you know, even a cold call salesman who's trying to sell me a platform that's not effective for my company. I'll get back and say, hey, thanks for the call. This is not something I'm interested in. So being responsive where people know they can get to you and know they're going to get an answer is fantastic, right? In respect to them reaching out in the future. So with that in mind, A, I want to congratulate you for figuring out what you wanted to do in your own business and just kudos to the success that you've created. I want to thank you for sharing your experiences with our audience, because I think this is a great way for people to learn some things they can do to help build their own businesses. And B, if somebody does want to speak with you or access any resources you have, learn more about you or go deeper with anything we may have discussed today, what's the best way to do that? If they'd like to get in touch with me, they can go to excelius.com. That's E-X-C-E-L-L-I-U-S.com. And everything you need to know about Ed Everts is there. Sounds great. Well, Ed, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and going solo and being so transparent with your own experiences. My guest has been the founder and president of Excelius Leadership Development, Ed Everts. Thank you again, Ed, for joining us. Thank you, David. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode, along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how to evolve your profitability and much more. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.